0: Today, salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord.
1: There's two things almost all of us love, especially men. Two things almost all of us love. Money and power. We all love money and power. If you disagree with that, then just ask yourself, would you rather have a lot of money or no money? Would you rather have a lot of power or no power? I think the answer's pretty clear. If we're being honest with ourselves, we would rather have money than none and we would rather have power than none. I was listening to a podcast in which uh, the sports personality was interviewing Charles Barkley, Sir Charles Barkley, as he's affectionately called in the NBA community as a former NBA basketball player who's now a, a funny personality and a commentator about basketball. And Barkley was discussing his life story And at one point he said, you know, I've been poor and I've been rich. And I've been unhappy as a poor man, as a poor black man from rural Alabama. And I've been unhappy as a rich man. And I'll tell you what, it's a lot better being unhappy as a rich man. (laughs) It's a lot better being unhappy as a rich man. I sure do prefer that. You know, we love money and we love power. There's a reason why throughout human history and in our day as well, these are two of the most powerful idols. The things we like to worship, the things we grab a hold to. They're the things that our lives gravitate to and that our hearts long for. That's always been the case, and it's probably going to be the case until Jesus comes back. This story this morning that Karen read for us is about Jesus encountering a man who was really rich and who was really powerful. We're continuing this series called Meals with Jesus, and each week we're seeing. Jesus sitting down at different tables and in different homes to different meals with different people and teaching us about his love. And this is a story about Jesus going to Zacchaeus' house. And the meal that Jesus has with Zacchaeus brings out into the foreground the grace that Jesus has for Zacchaeus. The meal Jesus has with him really is just a picture of the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that Jesus has for him. This is a great story that reminds all of you, no matter what's going on in your life, no matter who you are, no matter how often you've been in church, that the grace of God is for everyone. The grace of God, the love of God in Jesus is for everyone. It's for the poor and it's for the rich. It's for the powerful and the powerless. It's for you. It's for you today. And when the grace of Jesus grabs you, it doesn't just leave you where you are. The grace of Jesus takes you and changes you. It changes you, just like it changed Zacchaeus. So let's look and listen to this story together. Four points as we work our way through the story. Zacchaeus seeks Jesus. Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus repents and restores. And Jesus seeks and saves. So first, we see that Zacchaeus seeks Jesus. The first few verses say that, really, Luke gives us three pieces of information about Zacchaeus that are really relevant. The first thing he tells us, verse 2, is that Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Now, in the first century, in Israel, the Jewish people lived under Roman occupation. They lived under the rule of the Roman Empire. Israel was one of many Roman territories that kind of got engulfed by Rome as the empire continued to expand. The central power of the Roman Empire, located in Rome, they would levy these really heavy taxes on the outlying areas, on places like Israel, to fund their wars and to fund their public works projects, etc., etc. So in order to ensure that the heavy taxes were paid, the Romans would employ local people in the outlying regions as tax collectors. And they would give these tax collectors authority, read, weapons, weapons and soldiers and titles to collect taxes. And then the Romans would sort of wink at the tax collectors and tacitly allow them to skim off the top and keep a little bit of the tax revenue for themselves. And so this left the colonies impoverished. And the only people in places like Israel who lived in comfort were the occupying authorities and their local collaborators, people like tax collectors. So as you might expect... Everyone hated, hated tax collectors. They were despised. They were crooks. They were extortionists. They're not at all unlike um, modern drug lords in our inner cities who get rich by preying on and oppressing entire neighborhoods through drug trafficking and through violence. So Zacchaeus is a tax collector, but he's not just a tax collector. The story tells us that he is a arch tax collector, a chief tax collector, which means that Zacchaeus is incredibly wealthy. Luke tells us he is rich, but that's a significant understatement. Zacchaeus didn't just skim a little bit off the top. He's at the top of the extortionist pyramid, which makes sense. I mean, you might ask, why would anyone want that job? Why would anyone want to be a tax collector, someone who's going to be hated and despised by everyone in the town, even by your own family? And there's only one answer, money, and a lot of it, power, and a lot of it. Zacchaeus is the type of guy who was willing to have no relationships and no friends and no family, really nothing, except a big, huge pile of money that he could sit in all by himself. He reminds me of what J.R.R. Tolkien says about Smaug the dragon in The Hobbit. When he introduces Smaug, here's what Tolkien writes. His rage passes description. His rage is the sort of rage that is only seen when rich folk that have more than they can enjoy suddenly lose something that they have long had but have never before used or wanted. That's exactly what Zacchaeus is like. He's a miserable, angry, little rich man. So Luke tells us he's a tax collector. He's a really, really wealthy tax collector. And the third thing he tells us about Zacchaeus is that Zacchaeus is interested in Jesus. He's a seeker. Maybe Zacchaeus has seen Jesus teach before, we don't know. He's surely heard about Jesus, but something in this story sparks Zacchaeus's interest interest in Jesus, so much so that Zacchaeus goes after him. He seeks him, and this is really interesting. I actually love Zacchaeus because he seeks Jesus honestly. He seeks Jesus honestly. He's at the point where he doesn't really care what people think about him. He doesn't really care what people think about his interest in Jesus. In fact, probably for the first time in a long time in his life, Zacchaeus is after something other than just more cash flow, look what he does verse four he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree which is the equivalent of like a big oak tree to see jesus so zacchaeus is a wee little man a wee little man was he marianne asked me if i was going to sing that and i said i'm going to do my best to resist so you can thank the holy spirit ...for causing me to resist singing. Um, He's a small guy. He's a short guy. He's literally in Greek called a microman. Probably not one of the Avengers. He's a microman. And he does two crazy things. First of all, he runs. We saw last week in the parable of the prodigal sons... ...that, you know, estate holders... ...who are Jewish men in the first century... ...they they don't run. It's just unbecoming. And that's also kind of true today. I mean, I was thinking this week... ...in what situation would I just take off running? Maybe if I was playing basketball and wasn't worried about tearing my ACL, I would run. If I stole something, I'd probably run. If I'm chasing down one of my kids, I'd probably run if they're going to run out into the street. Um, But there's not many things that would make me just take off running. If a dog was chasing me, yeah, I'd probably run. But in most situations, men in the first century and men like me today, don't run. But Zacchaeus takes off running to get ahead of the crowd. He's, he's seeking Jesus intently. He's seeking Jesus honestly. And then what does he do? He climbs up into a tree. He climbs a tree like a six-year-old would climb a tree. I mean, picture that. It's really, I think, kind of funny. When I think Zacchaeus, I think of Danny DeVito. I think Danny DeVito, or maybe like Woody Allen, dressed up in like, <laughs> like the nicest robe in the village, sitting up in a sycamore tree with his, you know, nice sandals waiting for Jesus to come by. Zacchaeus is seeking Jesus. He's kind of without abandon, recklessly seeking Jesus. I think that's worth thinking about. If you're seeking Jesus, if you're curious in Jesus, if you have an interest in learning about Jesus and learning about what he teaches, then I hope Zacchaeus can encourage you in your seeking. I hope he can encourage you to seek Jesus honestly. Seek Jesus with a purpose. Some of my favorite people to talk to are people who aren't Christians, but who are genuinely curious. Genuinely curious about Jesus. And at a point in their lives where they don't really care what other people think about that. They're not afraid anymore to ask questions about Jesus. They're not afraid to express doubts. They're at a point in their lives where they're, you know, tired of the treadmill that life can so easily be. They're tired of what they see to be the pointlessness of all of it, and they want something real. They want something true. They want something lasting, and they're thinking, maybe that's Jesus. Maybe it's not. I'm not sure, but I'm intent on finding out. That's what Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is doing here. If you want to do that, if you're in that place, if you're seeking, man, we'd love to talk to you more about that. We'd love to help you. We'd love to have a conversation about that. There's something fascinating about Jesus. Zacchaeus clearly sees it. And as we see next, to those who seek, Jesus promises. He promises. They will find. They'll find what they're looking for. Zacchaeus seeks Jesus. but Secondly, Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. Verse (laughs) 5. Jesus came to the place, Jericho, a little town outside of Jerusalem. He walks by and he notices Danny DeVito, you know, Dressed up in nice clothes, sitting up in a sycamore tree by the road. And I'm sure Jesus is thinking, "Eh, that's not something you see every day. You don't see every day an IRS agent uh, sitting up in a sycamore tree. And so Jesus calls to Zacchaeus. And notice, Jesus calls him by name. Did you catch that? Zacchaeus, Jesus says. Zacchaeus, get out of the tree. What are you doing? Hurry, come down. I'm coming over to your house. How does Jesus know Zacchaeus' name? We don't know. Maybe Zacchaeus' reputation precedes itself. Maybe Jesus is like playing his God card here, right? He's like, yeah, I'm God, so I know your name. We don't know exactly how, but I think it's striking that Jesus calls Zacchaeus by his name. Zacchaeus went looking for Jesus, but it's Jesus who finds Zacchaeus. And Jesus calls him out. Do you know this? Do you know that Jesus, who's alive right now, he's alive. I'm going to speak about him in the present tense because he's not just a great teacher that died 2,000 years ago and whose bones disintegrated in some place outside of Jerusalem. He's alive. He's sitting at the right hand of God. And right now, every single one of you, no matter who you are, no matter your religious background, Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. In fact, Jesus, right now, no matter who you are, through his word, through this story today, is calling you by name. He's speaking to you. He's saying, I want to be your friend. I want to come into your life. He's saying, I want to help you. I want to know you. I love you. I care about you. I can change you. I can forgive you. I want to receive you. Can you hear the voice of Jesus? Have you ever heard the voice of Jesus? I don't necessarily mean audibly, although perhaps. But through his word or through prayer, in a real way, in a vivid way, has the Spirit of God spoken to you? Has Jesus announced his presence in your life? And I remember when that happened in my life. I was 19 years old. It was in between my first and my second year at college. I was home for the summer, working a job, because I didn't know what else I needed to do, and the Lord was just doing revolutionary work in my life. And I remember being by myself in my parents' living room, reading the Gospel of John. And I had grown up with a pastor, dad, in the church three times a week, but I'd never really encountered the resurrected Christ in this way. And I remember reading John chapter 10, where Jesus says, My sheep know me, and they hear my voice. My sheep know me, and they hear my voice. They are mine. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And I remember reading that and hearing Jesus speak to me through it. And falling down on my knees and crying and praying and saying, God, I want to give you everything I have and everything I will be, I want to give to you now. I wonder if that's ever happened to you. Because the truth is, if you're a Christian, Jesus calls you by name. He knows you and he loves you and he summons you to himself. Being a follower of Jesus doesn't just mean, it does not just mean that you just happen to be born in America or you just happen to be born in a religious household and you've kind of grown up with it. That is not what it means. Being a Christian means you've heard the voice of Jesus Christ in your life and you've responded. Jesus calls Zacchaeus by name and then, notice, he takes the initiative with Zacchaeus. He he invites himself over to Zacchaeus' house. Now, in that culture, as we've been seeing throughout this series, um, eating in someone's home is a big deal. It's a sign of friendship. It's a sign of a relationship being cultivated. It's a sign of love. And Jesus says out loud to this well-known sinner, this crook, this traitor, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over to your house. Get ready. Jesus takes the initiative with Zacchaeus. This is a picture of grace. This is grace taking over. Zacchaeus is a seeker. He's curious about Jesus, but then Jesus takes over. He sets the agenda. Jesus instigates. Jesus initiates. Jesus begins the change. Zacchaeus doesn't invite Jesus into his heart any more than Zacchaeus invited Jesus into his house. Jesus invites himself into both. And what happens? Well, let's look third. Zacchaeus repents. And restores. Zacchaeus gets it. Zacchaeus hears the saving voice of Jesus. He hears the saving voice of his shepherd and his savior. Verse 6 He hurried and he came down and he received him. Notice the adverb here. He received him joyfully. Joyfully. Zacchaeus is joyful. He's no longer an angry, rich, wee little man. He's a happy, joyful, wee little man. He's glad. He hasn't had a friend in decades. He hasn't been in a relationship in forever. And now Jesus says, I'm coming over to your house, his house. Zacchaeus knows what he's done. I mean, come on. Zacchaeus knows who he is. He knows he's made these calculations to get more and more and more for himself and to cut everyone else in his life out. He knows what he sacrificed to get to the place where he is. And yet Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming over. Zacchaeus knows that that makes no sense. Do you know that? That makes no sense based on anything he has ever known or based on anything he has ever experienced. Religious leaders don't hang out with chief tax collectors. But Zacchaeus receives the initiating love of Jesus and he receives it joyfully. But not everyone is joyful. Verse 7. The crowds, notice it's not just the Pharisees, it's not just the religious leaders, it's not just the scribes, it's everyone, every single person, the crowds, grumbled. It's not just the, sec, the, the uh, religious legalists, it's everyone that says, okay, this is a bridge too far. That guy cannot be friends with Jesus. Jesus can't go be a guest of a man who is a sinner. Yes, sinner, but I mean capital S, sinner. Sinner. Jesus can't consort with Zacchaeus. Not with that traitor. Zacchaeus is the scum of the earth. What is Jesus doing? And so they grumble, they grumble, they grumble at the joyful repentance of Zacchaeus. Do you grumble when other people repent? Um, who, if God saved them, would cause you to grumble? Who, if God saved them, would make you say to yourself, that person does not deserve to be forgiven? Aren't we so often? Aren't we so often like the crowds on that day? We look at our lives and we look at the lives of others as if it were all a matter of deserving. Just like the crowds and not a matter of mercy. I love Marilyn Robinson's quote from her book Gilead. She says this, love is holy because it is like grace. The worthiness of its object never, is never really what matters. The worthiness of its object is never really what matters. Are you grumbling about people being changed by Jesus? If so, repent. Repent and be joyful. The crowds weren't happy about it, but Zacchaeus is. He's happy, he's joyful, he experiences amazing life change, and he repents. How do we know he repents? Well, look at the rest of the story. You know, the text itself, it's a little bit threadbare. There's no explicit mention where it says, Zacchaeus, turned from his sins and repented. Jesus does say salvation has come to this house in verse 9, but we know earlier. We know that Zacchaeus repents. We know that he's experienced a dramatic encounter with Jesus. We know that he changes because he seeks to make restitution. Look at what he's done. Or look what he does. Verse 8. Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. So Zacchaeus gives away, not a tithe, which is what the Pharisees would have required, 10%. Half. 50%. 50, not 15, 50, of his massive amount of wealth. That's generous. That's sacrificial. And on top of that, he restores those whom he has defrauded, which I'm certain is a lot of people, at a high rate of interest, fourfold. I mean, imagine this. Let's just put this in a modern-day context. Imagine that some years ago, you and your wife uh, invested with this investment guy, for your kids' college funds. So that this guy can earn you good rate of return over the next 10 years so that when your kids get big enough to go to college, you can pay for it and they won't have this insurmountable debt when they finish and become some job that's never gonna pay off their debt, right? And uh, this guy took your money and he went Bernie Madoff on you. Just blew it all. Ruined it. He robs you blind. And it's been a couple of years and this guy one day calls you. You're driving in the car with your wife and your wife's cell phone rings and she answers and she has this look of puzzlement on her face. This look of bewilderment. And you say, who is it? She goes, it's Bernie Madoff. It's Bernie Madoff. It's the guy who ripped us off. And what is he saying? Let me talk to him. What is he saying? He's saying uh, he met Jesus. And he's really sorry for what he did. And he's going to fully fund all of the kids' colleges. No matter where they want to go. All right. That deserves a... What do what we do when we're happy? A thumbs up emoji? That deserves a thumbs-up emoji, right? That is evidence of heart change. It's evidence of repentance. True repentance based on one's receiving the grace of God leads, among other things, to generosity. It leads to a desire to make things right. It leads to restitution. Now, let me be clear with you. This isn't like some sort of penance. This is not penance. This is not um, Karma. Repentance is the false teaching that you've done something bad and you need to pay God and others back so that you can be forgiven. And that's just not true. That's not true. It's not karma or reincarnation where you've got to pay off the debt so that you can be forgiven and get better in the next world. What's happening is that Zacchaeus, he wants to make restitution because he has experienced restitution with God already. And it it affects his hold over his power and his hold over his money. He's now willing to, to part with the very stuff that he once lived his life for. I mean, why? Why is Zacchaeus willing to do that? Well, because he knows in this moment, this stuff's never made me happy. I've got more of it than anyone around. And I'm a miserable, angry, wee little man. It never did for him what it promised to do. But Jesus, Jesus does. Jesus can grant peace. Jesus changed Zacchaeus into a person of generosity. And Zacchaeus gave away, he gave away millions. Don't we have to ask ourselves at this point, don't we have to ask ourselves, um, how does our bank account reflect our commitment to Jesus? Are you generous? Are you generous with your money? Do you give sacrificially? That's almost always one of the first signs of grace at work in your life. It's a fruit of repentance. When it comes to things like power and money, meeting with Jesus and growing with Jesus means that we are more and more willing to give these things away. And if you don't, if you don't give away money, and if you don't give away power, you probably have not understood the grace of God. It's all over the Bible. I mean, all over. If for you, it's always something like, well, when I make more money, I'll give. Or when I pay off debt, I'll give. Or I would give more, but I can't afford it. Then you aren't living in the fullness of faith that God wants for you. Now, don't hear me as a preacher saying, okay, the preacher wants my money. I don't want your money. I don't. I want your joy. I want you to have joy. I want you to experience the fullness of faith that God gives. I'm not saying give the church money. I'm saying obey Jesus with everything that you are, especially with the things that you love the most. Because that's the way of peace. Zacchaeus was rich, and Zacchaeus was powerful, Zacchaeus had a house in the the beach, and a house in the mountains, and Zacchaeus was miserable. Miserable. But the gospel makes us joyful, and the gospel makes us generous. Grace makes that change. So is, is that you? Is that you? Is grace changing your attitude toward things like power and toward things like money? Jesus can do it for you, and it's actually the way into life. Zacchaeus repents and restores. Lastly, Jesus seeks and saves. I mean, isn't that the big point here? This story's not really about Zacchaeus. This story's about Jesus. Jesus concludes his encounter here with another one of these great statements that we've seen him make so many times in Luke. Really, you could say this is the theme of the entire Gospel of Luke. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's who Jesus is that's why Jesus came. He came to seek and save lost rich people. He came to seek and save lost poor people. He came to seek and save all the lost people everywhere in between. Today, salvation has come to this house, he says. The reason Jesus says salvation has come to your house, Zacchaeus, is because Jesus came to his house. Jesus is salvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the gateway to the Father and to the Father's blessings and affection. Jesus is the one who saves. That's, that's why he came. He came for the Zacchaeuses of the world. I love this story because it reminds us that Jesus came for all of us, the religious and the irreligious, as we saw last week, the rich and the poor, as we see this week. He came for everyone who will see their own need and their own sin, who will turn in repentance and faith to Jesus, and receive his love. Salvation can come to your house today. Salvation can come today to your house. Jesus is saying to you right now, I love you, I want to be your friend, I love you so much that I actually left my house. And entered into your house. I came to die for you. To ensure your pardon. To ensure your forgiveness forever. And I am alive. And one day I am coming back. And I'm going to make everything new and right. And I'm going to bring my people into a world of joy and peace forever. And I want you to come with me. Will you come? Don't just take this as another exercise in futile dead religion. Listen to the voice of Jesus. He's inviting you.
0: Come. Let's pray.